Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief, Mark Legfold. Hi, uh, my name is Sinner M. Ajay Vogar. I am a member of the Air National Guard. I also work for MAGV, Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans. At MAGV, we do offer assistance to homeless veterans and those that are struggling or becoming homeless. Um, we provide housing assistance, employment assistance, and legal assistance. If you're out there, there's no need to be struggling. We are here to help you. You serve your country. Let us be able to help you. Um, better still, you can contact us at 612-726-1327. Uh, we are just at uh, 1000 University Avenue West in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thank you. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Senior Airman Ajay Vogar. Ajay is a part of our mission support group. He is a commander support staff uh, and one of our drill status airmen, which means he drills with us one weekend a month and a little bit more than two weeks a year, which means he also holds down a full-time job. But he's been extraordinarily busy this past year, returning from deployment and filling in during our uh, staff shortage here at the wing. So you've been out here for a couple months with us. Welcome. Thank you, Chief. Thanks for having me. I'm humbled to be here. I'm happy to have you here. <laughs> so you've been part of our wing for five years. Happy anniversary. It's almost official today. Um, and you've also been an American citizen for about seven years now. Yes, Chief. All right. Which, that's pretty darn cool. Can you share your story on how you came to us here at the 133rd? And it's a good long story. Where did, where did you start? Where did you grow up? Oh, so uh, I, I actually uh, was born and raised in Liberia, West Africa. Beautiful country. Um, I mean, it's, it's a poor country, obviously, but beautiful coastline. Um, uh, so I, I, I was raised there, born and raised there. I went to school there, got through college there and everything. Um, and then I uh, worked for a little while over there in the financial sector. I worked as a banker and later worked with uh, a nonprofit organization that was partnered with the United Nations for a while. I served as a, a finance person there. Um, then uh, in, uh, I would say... Uh, Maybe in 2007, eight, within that period of time, I played the uh, diversity lottery. Um, uh, uh, there's a diversity lottery program, right? So that's something that is uh, that is that is staged by the United States. I think the head office is in Kentucky. So I mean, most African countries get involved with it. About 50,000, 55,000 people is need. I mean, people are needed for the program, right? So, and every country has a certain number of people that can be taken. So I was fortunate. I mean, the first time I played, I didn't win, and I was not, I was, I was not deterred. So a diversity lottery program that allows for immigration from other countries to the United States, right? Yes. How many people from Liberia are chosen as a part of that each year? So, like, like the word itself says literally. I mean, it, it depends. Uh, sometimes in a year, it could be like maybe 5,000 people, 6,000 people, but that, because there are other countries, it's, it's a portion uh -huh. to, to the countries. 
So uh, I can't remember the, that year how many persons, but I know that in 2000, between 2007 or eight, because I came out, my name came out. Mm -hmm. And my name came out in a newspaper. I didn't even know because I was busy working. And my, my girlfriend then, who's my daughter's mom now, uh, kind of saw it in the newspaper. And she called me and like, hey, guess what? Your name is in the newspaper. You've won the lottery. I'm like, what? So, and that's how it started. And I had to process. So I had to kind of like, like a whole package that comes through. And I had to fill out the application and everything and then send back to Kentucky. Within a year period, uh, the interviews are usually, I think, around the early part of that year. And then I sat the interview and I, you know, I came up successful. And that's how I came to the States. Mm -hmm. And my parents are here. My mom, my stepmom, and my dad. So that's how I ended up in Minnesota. They've been in Minnesota for prior to the time I came here, away here for almost 15 years before I even got here. What a nice reunion to win the lottery and come home or come come to Minnesota and be with your parents. Indeed. Suddenly after indeed, indeed. working was, so hard. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, because I, I was in high school when my, when my parents came. I was just in a maybe 10th, 11th grade. My, my dad came second. I was in the 12th grade when my dad came. I was in the, probably the 10th grade when my mom came, my stepmom mm -hmm. came. So it was just a whole long period of time, and reuniting with them was, was something. It was, it was so great. I imagine. Yes. You were in high school, and your parents were in the United States. Yes. Where were you staying during your high school years? So during my high school years, uh, but prior to my high school years, though, I did not live with my dad or mom. I lived with my grandmother. Your grandmother. And my grandfather. My grandfather was in the, uh, the Army. Uh, called the Armed Forces of Liberia, but then he was in the Air Reconnaissance Unit as a pilot. So he flew? So he flew, yes. He actually came to the States, uh, is that Fort Benny or one of those uh, bases he came to and went to school here. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, so, so uh, yeah, I lived with them up to that period. I was staying in high school, I was still living with my parents, my grandparents, when my parents actually came to the States. Okay. Yeah. Is that where you got interested in the Air Force, or was this an after after you arrived? So interestingly, journey? interestingly, when I was a little boy, um, and and then one of those pictures, I, I can just imagine our house got burned. So the picture, we we lost all the pictures. But I was I was uh, I was always interested in being a military. At first, I wanted to be a doctor, doctor or a pilot, and because of the situation in Liberia, Liberia had crisis, war, and things were off, off and on. Uh, so I grew up in serious crisis. My whole childhood was not a fun childhood. It was it was terrible. Because of the Civil War in the, the country? Civil War, yeah, for over 14 years of Since Civil War. Was it 1989? So it actually started 1989, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. But it got heated around the 1990s, 1990s, and then it was a section break-in then again, in 1999 to 2003, and, you know, it, it began a little intense again. But yeah, that's where I actually, you know, wanted to be a military person, but I couldn't join the army, the military then because everything was outside now. It's not, it was not professional indeed for me. So I, so then I kind of like just went off to college and just did business, you know, did business management not to, so I don't be like, I don't, I don't, I didn't want to get involved into all the things that were going on. So I kept myself in school. It's most of the time good to my parents. They were very supportive. They supported me hugely in that process. Yes. 
Liberia is an incredibly poor country, correct? Yes, Chief. How, how did you pay for college? And that's, that's interesting, right? So that's the blessing of God. That's why my, I come from a very, especially with my grandma, she was a very religious, disciplined woman. Um, and God had blessed my family so much uh, because, and all along I was in Liberia, I went to private schools and those are expensive, right? Um, so my father, I can't remember what I ever remember seeing my father work, but my father was, my father, by trade, he's a, he's a plumber, right? A plumber? Yeah. Okay. So he would just go cut contracts here and there. And then my stepmom used to work with the American embassy. Even though she was not making a lot, she was just like house cleaner at the embassy. Okay. And my mom, my, my grandma was a businesswoman. And like I said, my grandfather was a pilot. But by then, when the war started, the income was not forthcoming, even though. So my, grand, my father and my stepmom were paying the school fees, right? And even my mother, my biological mom, also a businesswoman with a different, but, but so it was just like collaboration of the family, like uh -huh. pieces here and there. And that's how I went through high school to university. Even the university was a private university, a Catholic university yes. that I went to. Um, so it was just the blessings of God. Sometimes when I say that, I think about it, it's like, how did it all happen? How did it come together? It was not structured in a way that you would say, hey, uh, there was this way that my school was financed this way. It was nothing structured, mm -hmm. but it was just the pieces that got together. A little bit at a time and yes, one piece at a time. Yes, and I kept the focus doing that. So. Incredible. Yep. And you worked hard. Yes, and, I did. And so you finished your bachelor's degree yep. in Liberia, yep. and your bachelor's degree is in business. Business administration. I started my master's program, uh, but then uh, within that period, the opportunity came for me to come over. So you just kept on going to school. Yes in spite of all the turmoil in your country. Yes, Chief. And your family moved around a lot when you were young. Yes. America, United States of America gave you a, some stability. Some stability and a great opportunity. Yeah. And a great opportunity. That's, uh, that's why I hail this country to the, to the highest. Well, I, um, I, I love America so much. Uh, even prior to coming to America, um, everybody who knows me, my family, like, he likes America. So, because I believe in the dreams, I believe what I've heard stories prior to coming to America, what America has done for people who wanted to have that chance and that opportunity. And, and, and I, now I, I, am, I am a testimony of it, right? Uh, because I know there were people who I grew up with back home who came to the States and had the opportunity and it made a difference, right? And I was like, wow, and I'm a testimony. Hand. When you were growing up, you saw what military service looked like. Yes. And it was civil war and defense of, of the country within the country. Yeah. And it was violent. And it caused you to move around a lot. And then you came here, finished your master's degree, and then decided to join the military here. Yes. Was it this a similar sense of purpose? What After growing up and seeing so much turmoil and, yeah. and people in uniform, yeah. uh, executing that level of turmoil. Yeah. You still chose to serve in the military here. Yes. Why? Because, I, like I said, as a boy, I saw my grandfather. I saw him, how he would dress in his uniform, very neatly dressed, disciplined uh, man. And, and then I still had that courage. 
prior to the war in Liberia, Liberia had a very disciplined military, I will tell you that, because of the training from the United States and all that. Mm -hmm. So disciplined people, it's just, uh, when the war came in, it scattered everything, people who did not understand what uh, military, military, the military profession is, kind of misuse it. Even at that point, I still had the mindset that I would want to be a pilot, I mean, if I had opportunity. But when I came to the States, I already ordered, I mean, age factor and all that. So that sense of purpose was that discipline and structure that I still needed, even though I, I still had some self-discipline, you know, from my grandparents and stuff like that. But I still figured that or I still needed that military structure mm -hmm. part of me to fulfill that. That was a, it, it was it's a kind of fulfillment for me. So I decided to still join the military. And guess what? When I got here, the first time I ever tried, I did not make it. I mean, not that I did not, but the first recruiter I spoke to was a Navy recruiter or something, and I like, I don't even know how the conversation ended, right? And then I, I was like, I, it was after several years, I started working all these old jobs, um, working, you know, healthcare field, doing direct care, stuff like that. And then uh, I met this, I met this um, guy, but then it was in 2017, 2016, 2017, when my wife came and we got married, and I took her to the airport, and I met this, because I like to engage, in the, especially if I see interesting people, and, and we engage in a conversation, huge, I think, uh, he has an accent, and I think he said he was from Maritina somewhere, working for FEMA. Okay. The Federal Emergency Management Emergency, Administration. Yeah. And then we started talking, and he's like, where you from? And what kind of I'm, I'm from Liberia, and that's, by that time, Ebola was raging. Yes. He was like, oh, Okay. So what do you do now? And I explained to him what I do. What I do is like, have you thought about the military? I said, oh yes, it's been my dream ever since. So why not? Why have you joined the military? I'm like, oh, I've tried, but I've not been successful. He said, but you know, the military would like people like you. For instance, have you ever been in the National Guard? I'm like, mm, no. Then he gave me. It was then with the recruit. I can't remember the name, but it started with R. Um, I, I think it's, he's at the Joint Headquarters now. Okay, but. He gave me that recruiter's number, and I called the recruiter. But then he was. But then I, I didn't know the the recruiter was transitioning from the position to something else. Yeah. And then I called several times. I didn't get any response. I left message. So I kind of like got a little reluctant again. But I'm one person. Even though when something's on my mind, it keeps playing with me. It keeps playing on my mind. So I, I decided to call this time around. I spoke with. Um, it was uh, Ryan Ringwelski was the recruiter, wasn't yes, he? Then, yes, of and course. then and then I got uh, was it um, uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Mali? Okay, Durrell Mali, yeah. And I spoke with Mali, Mali and then he he told me to come in, and and that's how that's how it all started. All right, and we got a good one in you. <laughs> oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Chief. <laughs> So you're uh, you're not the youngest person to be a senior airman out here. Mm -hmm. You might be the oldest. Okay. You went to basic training at the ripe old age of how old? Uh, thirty-seven. Thirty-seven years yeah, old. Yeah, thirty-seven. Yep. And now here you are, forty-one. Forty-one years old. Yep. And uh, probably serving with us. It's it's a uh, <laughs> it's an interesting place to be in life you and i are almost the same age oh yeah 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 um you chose to go into a commander support staff role yeah tell us exactly what that job does so basically uh, as a commander support staff we're there to uh, support the commander you know mainly right 
uh, as much as that, even within the unit itself as an MSG CSS staff, uh, we're there to support all the other units that fall fall within the group, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so basically, we are more of uh, making sure that the personnel are ready. Readiness is the bigger is the bigger aspect of our operations what yes. we do, so that the commander can have a day to day idea as to where uh, where the the members are in terms of readiness. Okay, basically. Now you got to see here at the, at our wing in Minnesota, we're busy getting ready and yeah. preparing, and yeah. the commander needs to know how ready are yeah. our people. Yes, but you had a chance uh, this past year to see what it looks like on the other side when we are ready and we go downrange. Yes, uh, you just got back from deployment this past year. Where did you go, and what does a commander support staff person do on a on a on a deployed side? So it was a great experience. Uh, um, trust, uh, so at first I was kind of nervous, right? Uh, where am I going? Who do I know? There? What's going to be like? What's the difference? I'm not a full-time military personnel. I'm just half-time. What, what's going to happen, right? But when I got there uh, and, 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 and I got in my role, actually when I got there, I, was, I actually left from here on, this, on the slot of being a security manager. And I was a security manager as much as the uh, CSS staff there too, with the 379th Expeditionary uh, Squadron over the maintenance squadron. Where was that at? Uh, Qatar. Qatar. I was in Qatar. Yeah. So we. So when I got there, I mean, it was it was a great experience. A lot of things happened there during the period. Um, unexpected events occurred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll talk so, about that in a little bit. So yeah. So but yeah. So there I was supporting the. Uh, it was uh, what's this? What's commander name again? Oh my God! Pardon me for that. Um, just slip his name slip out of my. But we actually uh, supported the guy. Like basically, I was there to in process a lot of guys that were coming on rotation, right? In process and our process, sure. making sure that they have the, be- the the necessary security clearance to to actually uh, carry on the operations or the mission and uh, like you know get on the flat line stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and besides that, uh, even showing that. The commander knows how many people I, we have yeah. in the squadron. The of total course. number of people have the squadron. What they're doing daily, um, making that, those reports back and forth, and so that he can be able to make an up chain report too. So those were the things we were doing uh, with the maintenance and making sure that the, the the flights were you know the personnel were ready to kind of like work on the flights and make them um, ready for mission. Yeah, your the life changed though. Yeah. Pretty suddenly, when we started pulling out of Afghanistan, yeah, yeah, and that changed for you as well. Yeah, because if I, if I hear what you're saying, Ajay, you, your job is to keep track of people yep. who are going in and out of uh, that area yes. of operations. Yes, you started keeping track of a whole lot more than just military people, right? Yes. To, After tell us about that experience. So yeah. So that so uh, so when everything I was two months into into my deployment, um, sitting behind my desk. That's what I do behind the computer and just processing and, and do my, my my job. And suddenly, my supervisor came out first and said, "Like um, we probably going to stop what we're doing. We got something else going to do." I'm like, "What's going on?" Then the commander came in, like, "Okay." I would need you vulgar, I would need, you know, and and then he sent us out there. But we didn't know I didn't know where I was going specifically 
to home. Um, and then we went to the UCC over the there. Unit Control, Control Center. Center. Got it. And then, uh, and it was like, while I was in there trying to find out what I was doing, I was major, oh my God, too bad. I'm sorry with the names. But this major came out and looked at me. I'm like, you know what? You're going with me. I'm like, what? Uh-huh. So I was scared, like, where am I going right now? Like, okay. So he was responsible. There was a, we call the missing center. It was a, it was an ad hoc, you know, uh, team setup okay. to uh, kind of like find missing families, Afghan families, missing Afghan families. So you were trying to help families find, find yeah, other family other members. family members. Yes, and and so I was on I was on a team. That team was uh, about six persons, including including the the major who was on there. Um, so I, so it was it was a like. 12-hour shift, even more than 12-hour shifts at mm-hmm. a time. Um, so we, I, I had to go get in a car, drive probably on the flight line, go and find members of, especially kids, that were missing from their families. Yes. And then we will have those kids get their names, kind of in collaboration with the Afghan uh, immigration um, office over there. Um, so it was a back-and-forth movement the entire day, night, trying to find the families. And the camps were set up, so I would go into those camps kind of probably pronouncing the names. There were even times scary stuff, though, but kind of like just, you know, kind of take the fear out of me and say, hey, get in the car with me. Let's go find your family member. Yes. I was doing stuff like that. So uh, you, you were responsible for reuniting. Reuniting the families, reuniting the families and, and, and kids. And there, there was some other um, uh, special things that happened. I really broke my heart at the time. Um, I know there was a family member, there was a lady who was, she just gave birth, I think, and she kind of like lost from her husband, and she was looking for him for several days. Yes. Several days. She was breastfeeding, um, and this guy, um, he was kind of like on the other side of the base, because yes. we set up camps there, you go on the other side, but she had not seen it because there was another camp outside of the base, army side. And... She'd been looking for him. She was crying day and night. So um, that cut my heart because she had this baby. She didn't know what to do. And this man was on, on our base there. So I kind of like made announcements because they couldn't speak English. Some of them couldn't speak English. Yes. So I had to get an interpreter. I had to find people to help me out. You know, some of the same Afghans to interpret. Uh, I took that case to be special because of a flashback that I had back home in a similar situation with somebody. She I was, I was just thinking of you growing up <sighs> and how this particular mission, after joining, joining our Air Force, yeah. you know, joining the Air National Guard, and now uh, after all the moving around you did as a child growing up, what it was like to work with the refugees. Um, and how personal that must have been for you. It was. It was really personal. It was really personal. There was. There was a moment where I had to go in the corner. I think one of the, one of one of my uh, wingmen kind of observed that, and I explained to him the situation at, at the time. Yeah. But I still must have the courage to do the mission, right? But there was this moment where a young girl, she and the other girls were sitting there, and she was hungry. She was really hungry, and yeah. she's like, because there were seven meals, but I think she missed the meal time, and then they're organizing a way that after that time you won't get any, but she was really hungry. 
And she came out to me and said, can you find me food to eat? And I was like, I mean, they just, they, they gave me food. And I went to the guys over there and they said, no food and stuff like that. So on the other side of the camp, some of the, uh, some of the, um, the airmen have pizza. But they're just kind of like not really eating the pizza. Mm -hmm. So I went over there and like, are you guys eating this pizza? And I was like, oh, you, you, you guys can have it. I don't have it. So I took the pizza and took the box over to she and her friends. Mm -hmm. She was so happy. She was so happy, like, thanks, thank you so much. Americans, you are good. Americans, you are good. I was like, wow. Because I went through similar thing. I, I, I had an experience where my mom, my mom with my three siblings, she had a baby, she had my little brother, mm -hmm. my, were three, three older ones, and there was no food. There was a, just a little plate of, I don't know, what we call it pan cabbage. There was some kind of root. And that was the only food we had. Mm -hmm. My mom did not eat that food. We had to eat that food. And I was like, wow, this is real. Yeah. This is real. And the only difference for them was, to me, was they were quickly helped. That is, they were, America was, America, and the United States was totally involved with them as bringing them over as compared to us being there. And we were not like, you know, taken away or right. any kind of total involvement. It was a whole process of a lot of things that had to be in place while people were dying and suffering, mm -hmm. right? So that alone was, it was just a lot of stuff for me during that time. Yeah. How we made. You, you went through that with incredible strength and grace, and I'm sure it was difficult uh, within your heart. Yes. Um, how did you personally process all of that? Because I'm, you, you're telling me this story, and we're face to face, and I'm hearing the emotion in your words, but I'm seeing the emotion on your face as well. How did you process that in that moment while you were there, uh, bringing, like you said, goodness to this little girl and carrying, she said, America is good. Yeah. And you got to carry that yeah. the, uh, weight of the goodness of our country. Yes. How did you, how did you process that once, once that, once you walked away from that and you were able to uh, think that, about it? That, 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 that reinforced my my what the word it, it reinforced my heart to say i'm doing a good thing one besides not just doing a good thing i'm in a good place i'm in a good country that's giving back to people who really need it mm -hmm. so it's a lot it was a it was a whole it was a whole collaboration of a, a greatness in that process yeah that i was carrying and it made me feel really proud even though it was a you know kind of chaotic situation but at the same time i mustered the courage to do to wanting to do more yeah. Because of that, with the backing of the United States and knowing that I'm a part of a country that is doing good to the world, that in itself, I can never forget. And I always want to do good. That muster my courage to want to do good every time. Are we still doing good? Yes, we are. You are still a good part of that. Thank you, sir. Yes, of course. Um, speaking of, you... You carry that sense of let's do good, of, of doing good for others uh, with you. Even when you're not serving in this uniform, the camouflage one, you serve others that have worn it. 
uh, in your civilian job. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do on the outside in, in your real full-time job. So I work for uh, a nonprofit organization uh, called Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans. MACV. MACV. Got it. So with MACV, I am one of the senior case managers there. Um, and my role is to kind of like uh, meet with veterans, homeless veterans, or veterans who are on the verge of being homeless, to assess the situation of them and kind of give, if not quick response, but greater help or resources that would you know, kind of like stabilize the situation, right? So I meet with veterans who probably in the street identify them as veterans, and some of them don't even know what they have as benefits, right? So in that way, I also kind of like uh, research resources that we cannot provide because our 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 utmost um, operation is to make sure that they first thing first is to place them in a home, mm -hmm. place them, give them shelter. That our almost other things like food we may not be able to provide in a way we kind of find food shelves for them. We kind of like if they have some mental issues, we have we found you know organizations that we partner with even big our big big partners with the VA and see that they can you know have these uh, help that they need and and if they have a legal issue we have the legal arm of our section also right so the legal arm will most times just deal with like evasion issue why I did not get in the place because some veterans do have money mm -hmm. they do have service connection but they cannot get a place because of uh, because of uh, um, uh, uh, what the word uh, background Issues, right? Legal, legal issues, legal issues. On your background. So yeah, okay. on the on the on the background. So then we will, you know, kind of like our legal team will, kind of go in there, represent them, and, and maybe talk to the landlords, for instance, and say, hey, you know, we, we will settle this. Mm -hmm. and don't get in. Don't get the person evicted, for instance, or the person has an evasion record. But this is what we can do to help. You know, this person has changed. So as a s senior case manager yeah. for um, Minnesota's. Uh, assistance Council for Veterans. Do you do a lot of face-to-face -face work a lot with of veterans? Face, a lot of face-to-face. -face. So they come in and then we do an interview um, and then just kind of verify the information that they're providing and ask what caused the situation sometimes, you know, just to kind of know how best we can help. Mm -hmm. um, so if so, some some of them will tell you that, hey, I'm you know, I, I spend my money on drugs, some of them divorce, some of the different cases, different situations. Yeah. Um, some of them are paying a lot of child support, um, so I cannot afford to pay my rent. So then we get illegally involved, how they can reassess the uh, child support program, child support they're paying, stuff like that, so they can be at the point where they can be stabilized. Or some of them have no income at all. So it's like, okay, what happened? Did you serve? What happened? We look at the record. Some of them actually did not serve for a long time. They don't have the requisite um, time period that mm -hmm. we allow them for our program. So we have different fundings that we can associate them with, or we can also partner with the state or VA in general to see how best they can be helped. Sounds like a wonderful way of doing more yes, good. Yes, sir. I have been speaking with Ajay Vogar here on Beneath the Wing. Uh, and what a fascinating story you've been sharing with us. And I hope uh, you'll stick around for the second half of Beneath the Wing. And we'll learn a little bit more. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eve. Thanks for sticking around for the second half of Beneath the Wing with Senior Airman Ajay Vogar. 
of our mission support group, commander support staff. And uh, we were talking in the break a little bit about, uh, a little more about what you do uh, with the Minnesota Assistance Council for Veterans and uh, how your heart has been able to uh, be filled in that kind of mission. So thanks for sharing that part with me. Um, you are, uh, you're an active part of our wing here and a lot of people know you, but you had a chance encounter a few weeks ago where you ran into a schoolmate of yours. Tell us about that situation. And it's a small community out here where we have maybe 1,200 people on, a, on our drill weekend. We plus up, but it's a pretty quiet place during the week. And suddenly you, you had a voice from the past. Tell us about that experience. So yeah, I mean, um, I I know what you what you speaking to uh, specifically. I know that I have a friend out here. Um, his name is uh, Amen um, Lucini Kamara. Uh, Lucini is with the uh, service service uh, group over there. Uh, but uh, I I mean he it was it was it was just a surprise. Basically sitting up front in the CSS, and uh, I I saw this person passed twice mm -hmm. and when I look up I look at the person I was like their face looks familiar and I couldn't really tell then I intentionally stopped him and I said your face looks familiar you're not a Nigerian you're a Liberian and he's like yeah he looked at me for long he's like are you vulgar I'm like yes then instantly and he came to me and said, Lucini Kamara, because I saw the camera, I'm like, Lucini Kamara. And then that was it. And because Lucini and I were, we went to the same university back home. In Liberia. Stella Marie's Polytechnic. And when we were there, he was, he was in one of the, uh, he was a soccer player. And I was the, for the entire university, I was the team manager. So I was managing the teams out there. <laughs> so, so I was managing the team and he was one of my, one of my closest friends, um, because being a team manager out there, it's like you have access to a lot of things. Like yes. You have access to the money sometimes, or not, not that you have actual access to the cash, but you're, given, you're able to buy stuff for the players and the water and all that stuff, and everybody yeah. wants to probably be your friend, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but anyways, besides that, yeah, he was a very good friend, somebody who stopped by my house, would, you know, kind of like, because I was not living, I was like maybe, uh, maybe seven, eight miles away from school. Sure. And that he was living maybe about 20 miles away from the school. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so sometimes he would stop by and kind of visit with me and, you know, we have some food and eat together. And, and yeah, we were good friends. We were very good friends. Um, not until when I graduated in 2006, uh, and then I stopped seeing him. We were not seeing, since that time, I can't remember when, I, when the last time I saw him, I think it was in 2006. Mm -hmm. um, and I stopped because like, life got busy with me too. I got, started working and stuff like that. Then I left and came to the States. Not until then when I saw him just uh, a month ago. Was his was his journey to the United States similar to yours where he won the lottery? I think so. Okay. I think so. But I think he was, he, I think his, uh, some friend or girlfriend, wife, something like that, kind of like filing for him. I think something like that. I, I don't know the details of that story. But it was the same immigration process, put it that way. You had to go to the embassy, get interview, all that stuff, yes. and come over. So that was the same, basically almost the same process. How amazing. Yes. And how small our world is. Yes. 
Yes, he he was a he. We were good friends back home. Mm -hmm. We were very good friends back home. So I couldn't. And he said he'd been here since 2017, if I'm not mistaken. But I've never ever met him or seen him in the Liberian community. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm always busy, so I'm not really in the community like that sometimes too. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it was really surprise. It was really it was one of those biggest surprises. Yes, that for sure. <laughs> How absolutely amazing and fun all at the same time. Yes, Chief. That, uh, here we are. <laughs> and I mean, in the same uniform, and I'm like, yeah. what? And then I'm making him understand, like, man, you made a right decision. You yeah. know, you made a real right Because he was just coming into yes. the Air National Guard. Yes, he just came out. I think he just came from uh, tech school or yep. something like that. Yeah. Wow, fantastic. Glad you told him that he made a good decision. <laughs> yes. Thanks for doing that. Um so we talk about the guard family, and, and we talk about the kind of close-knit group that we are out yes, here, yes. and what the sense of camaraderie and togetherness, going through hard things um, and good things. Yeah. Uh, I got a chance to meet your lovely family during our family day, Thank you, and Chief. realized you have twin daughters yes, Chief. who are in high school. Yes, Chief. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I met uh, two of your boys as well. Yeah. Tell me about your family and their support of you being in the in the military. So first of all, I would just want to first of all say thank you to thanks to the guard to one thirty third eleven wing, specifically MSG and especially to Chief Tikoski, yeah. uh, special doma department, and to all of you who uh, kind of like help out support my family. I was going through some some terrible times when I was deployed, you know, um, and but it, because of you. And the family out here, um, situations were resolved and was still able to carry on the mission back there. So I have immense trust and respect and love for this unit and for the people here. Uh, having said that, uh, I, I have a beautiful family. I, I'm, yes, you do. I have a beautiful family. I have a beautiful wife who is very, very supportive, very smart woman. She outsmarts me in a lot of things. And, <laughs> and I, so, I hope she listens to this and hears you. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I have a beautiful family, a blended family. Um, I uh, uh, seven kids uh, yeah. with the blended family. I have uh, twin girls. You mentioned. I have. Uh, we have a twenty-three-year-old man. <laughs> I have two little boys, uh, two, and uh, uh, the other one just turned uh, eight. eight. Yeah. And I have a nine-year-old girl, and I have a 13-year-old who's in Liberia trying to bring over adopted. Yes. So that's the family. Uh, wonderful family. Uh, my wife is the, is the uh, I know I'm, I'm the head of the home, but she's the fulcrum of the home. She holds the home together. Um, and she's a very smart woman. She's currently in nursing school, about to graduate. Since she entered, she's been on a roll through every, every quarter. Fantastic. Um, that's very impressive. I'm proud of her. I love her. And we are going through, our, you know, times as, as families, a married couple. We got married in 2017. Yeah. She uh, came over here. And we got married, went back, and I had to process people because she and the family to join me. And uh, goodness to God, um, they all came out well. We just bought a home. Yes. Um, and we kind of like settling in the home, trying to make it a warm place for, for ourselves. You know, when, when you tell that story, I'm in my head thinking, wow, that's a lot of transition and yeah. a lot of change to go through. Yeah. But then I, I look at the 
man I'm talking to and I'm going, this guy knows how to transition and change yeah. probably better than most. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, but I'm sure it's, it's just, not easy. It's just, I think it's just basically, uh, that's what I tell people. I don't, I don't, I, I don't like for my mind to, my, my, my mind is my greatest weapon for me. Um, I, I, I try to think through things, process things well, and take different approaches. And I'm not afraid to to make those changes. I'm yeah. not afraid at all. Um, that's why I don't let my I like my mental tension to be as relaxed as it can be, uh, because I use that a lot to do a lot of things. I, I take risk. I take huge risk. Yeah. In the process, and most of my risks I've taken so far so good has been worth it. Yeah. For me, it seems like you approach risk with a good, a good sense of knowing what you're getting into, yeah. and how to handle it. Yes, because you've I got do. that that good mind. I do, I do. Well, speaking of that good mind, let's let's see if we can answer some questions really fast. All we'll, we'll play quick answer. We'll lighten it up just a little bit. You ready for this? Yes, chief. All right. Now, uh, first thing that pops into your head, don't think too long. Ready? Fem. Oh, okay. ready? Yeah. Okay. Uh, R&B or country music? R&B. Famous person, alive or dead, you'd most want to have dinner with? Barack Obama. Are you a sweet or a savory person? Sweet person. Best book you've read? Uh, I've read the recent most one is the one with um, Michelle Obama. Okay. Uh, biggest pet peeve? What bothers you? Uh, dishonesty. Dishonesty. Best show to binge watch? Ooh, I love all the Disney shows with my kids. Just the cartoon stuff. Cartoons? Yeah. Man, I could watch cartoons all the time. With the kids. That's great. Um, um, one thing that not too many... Nice job on the on the fast answer, by the way. Uh, you mentioned that you're a sweet person, and so I learned another thing about you, Ajay, that uh, not too many people know. If you had any beverage that you could drink to relax and that after a good long day, it would be Moscato. 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 Yeah. Which uh, for some people, uh, Moscato Diasti. I don't even know what Diasti is. Oh, yeah, let's try that. Diasti. I'll have to give awesome. that one a go. Yeah, sweet. It's, it's so Mos Moscato is a very, very sweet wine. Yeah. And uh, good to have on a hot summer day. Yes. Yeah, sitting yes. in the shade and relaxing yeah. and enjoying that. One thing I also learned is that Nicki Minaj, you're an R&B guy, right? Well, you know Nicki Minaj. I know Nicki Minaj. She has her own brand of Moscato. Okay. Yeah, so if you and Nikki were uh, hanging out, having a glass of uh, Moscato, what advice would you give to her about making music? Uh, I would just say to her, just uh, just kind of mellow down a little bit. Mellow out. Yeah, mellow out on it a little bit. I'll That's give a, her a call after we're done. Yes, and, we can do that. I know you'd say that. <laughs> I heard also that you're, you're quite a pool player. Where'd you pick that up? I it's just... Uh, I don't know, just from friends. I was just hanging out with friends, and I thought that it is a really good gift because it gives you it gives you focus, it like it, it keeps you pointed. Like, what am I gonna do? Like I said, my mind is, is is the most important thing to me, so it keeps me focused, and I just want to hit that direction and make yeah. sure I get I get it right. And you never really do get the perfect pool shot, but you you do get most of them 
I do. Yeah. I do most. I do get them most most times. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, it's a great concentration. Yeah. Last quick question: football or football? Football or football? Which, which one? Football. Do you like American football no, or do you soccer. like real football? Yeah. I'll I'll go with real, you real on football. That one. Yeah. I'll, a bunch of my kids were soccer players. Yeah. So I'll I'll uh, I'll go along with you on that yeah. one. For me, the the if I should go a little bit on that, the reason I I, I kind of. Like it, but for me, it's like it's a, to me the hates the violence. For me, it's I see us a lot of violence, a lot of hates. It's a lot of concussion and all kinds. Of, I'm like, oh no, I can't do this. It's, yeah. it's a lot of push and pull. But the soccer is like skillful. There's a lot of skills involved with it. The skill and the strategy is yes. what I and that's really what I do enjoy watching. Yeah, that's the thing that. with soccer. Yeah. And then you speed it up and put it on ice, ice. and then we have we have <laughs> hockey out here, which is a whole lot of fun here in Minnesota. Yeah, I don't imagine they had a lot of ice hockey in Liberia. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> probably gonna be playing a dust or something. Oh, yeah, I imagine, but it's mm. probably still be a whole lot of fun. Sure. Um, when uh, when you joined, you were you were a relatively old man already. Yes. <clears throat> what does the future hold for you out here at the one thirty third? I see great future out here. I see greatness. I see I see um, with the with the with the members out here. I see that there's opportunities here for me to grow, and I just need to put the effort to do it and show myself approved to do that. When I met your family, one of your girls was interested in serving as well. Yeah. What, uh, you're a good parent and you have a lot of kids. Is this a good place to send your kids to serve? Yes. Why? Because I've, I came here with, a, uh, not knowing what I'm, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to be at, but I've been received with an open arm, family-oriented people, people who believe in, uh, in diversity and believe in the acceptance of everybody's um, uniqueness, right? And I think that my daughter, who's still thinking about it, and I'm pushing her towards being a pilot mm -hmm. anyways, um, would like to come here. And she saw the, the support firsthand when I was not here. And they can't stop talking about that also. And every time, like, so the military for me, the Minnesota National Guard, 133rd LF Wing, is a family. It's a big family for me. Besides my immediate family, this is my family. So my, my daughter has seen it, and she saw the love that was shared, or that was given them why I was not here. They appreciate that a lot. Well, Ajay, she wants to be here. We'd love to have her, uh, but thank you for being a strong, uh, stable, big part of our 133rd Airlift Wing family out here. We are so fortunate to have you. Um, hearing your story of how you carried, you know, a message of goodness from our country to a, a young girl who just wanted a slice of pizza. Um, you've made the world a better place and thanks for being a part of our 133rd Airlift Wing family. And thanks for sitting out and hanging out with me for a little while on Beneath the Wing. Thank you so much, Chief. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, uh, the opportunity, the time. And uh, do not hesitate, whenever. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. A special thanks to Tech Sergeant Jared Smith for his pre-production work. 
um, and Master Sergeant David Gindor for his help in the pre-production work, as well as Amy Lovegren for the post-production work. I hope you can join me next time on Beneath the Wing as we explore more of the stories of strength and success of the Airmen of the 133rd.